Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are engaging with these words of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, the scroll that is found, as we studied last week, during the reign of King... Who? Oh, uh, it just takes a week. That's all it takes. One week. <laughs> Gone. After David. Sounds like yes. Josiah. Thank you, Yeshayahu. Josiah. Extra point. Thanks for pulling it out, Himmelstein. <laughs> all right. I, I was stuttering. I don't think it was. Found in the reign, according to. Um, the Deuteronomic history founding the reign of Josiah in order to make sure that the scroll is legit they have to take it to be authenticated and so they take it to whom? A woman. Holder. Yay. Holder. And her name? Hulda. They take it to Hulda the Nivi'ah, the prophetess and they authenticate the scroll as being in fact the word of God and so uh, so here we go studying the fifth chapter of what was agreed to be the word of God um, we studied a little bit of the Deuteronomic history last time if we have time I'm going to give you a little uh, sliver of uh, some more of that alright so chapter 5 verse 1 Robert you want to read sure. Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them hear O Israel the laws and rules that I proclaim to you this day. Study them and observe them faithfully. Our God, Adonai, made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that Adonai made this covenant, but with us, the living, every one of us who is here today. Face to face, Adonai spoke to you on the mountain out of the fire. Spoke to you on the mountain. Oh, sorry. Uh, I, I stood between Adonai and you, at that time to convey Adonai's words to you for you were afraid of the, of the fire and did not go up to the mountain saying I Adonai am your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt the house of bondage you shall have no other gods beside me you shall not make for yourself a sculptured image any likeness of, of what is in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters below the earth you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, your God, Adonai, am an impassioned God, visiting the guilt of, of the parents upon the children, upon the third and fourth generations of those who reject me, but showing kindness to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not <clears throat> swear falsely by the name of your God, Adonai, for Adonai will not clear one who swears falsely by God's name. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, as your God, Adonai, has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of your God, Adonai. You shall not do any work, you, your son, or your daughter, or male or female slave, your ox or your ass, or any of your cattle, or the stranger in your settlements, so that your male and female slave may rest as you do. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, 
and your God, Adonai, freed you from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, your God, Adonai, has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother, as your God, Adonai, has commanded you, that you may long endure and that you may fare well in the land that your God, Adonai, is assigning to you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Likewise, none of you shall crave your neighbor's house or field or male or female slave or ox or ass or anything that is your neighbor's. Adonai spoke these words, those words, those and no more, to your congregation at the mountain with a mighty voice out of the fire and the dense clouds. God described them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. Okay, let's stop there. Alright. <clears throat> so chapter 5, verse 1. By Kramushel call Israel. So Moshe calls to all of Israel and says to them, you should be very familiar with this language of Deuteronomy, Shema Yisrael. Right? Sometimes we think it only happens in one place. Not true. We have venerated one place that that appears. This is normal language for Deuteronomy. Shema Yisrael. Listen up, Israel. Here, it's what are, what are they supposed to hear? Shema Yisrael. You, Israel, should hear the laws and the statutes that I'm going to speak into your ears. Hayom. Today. And you shall learn them and, and keep them in order to do them very faithfully. So Moshe is going to give them Mishpatim and Chukim that they have not received before. Right? Remember that Deuteronomy is a religious reform. There's going to be adjudication in Deuteronomy that we have legislation that we have not seen before. How do you make that kosher? How do you make it okay and make it divine in origin? God said some stuff at the mountain, but y'all didn't want to hear all of it. So God gave you the Ten Commandments because that's what you could handle. But there's a lot more than that that God told me on the mountain. And so here's a bunch of the rest of it. Right? Because God made a covenant with us at Chorev. What's Chorev? It's another name for Sinai. Obviously, there are two traditions. One tradition says it happened at Har Sinai, and one says it happened at Har Chorev. Chorev is the mountain of God. So there's a definitely two traditions around what that mountain is called. It was not with our ancestors that God made this covenant, but with us, the living, every one of us here today. So don't think that it was made with the generation before that died in the desert. God forbid the covenant is binding on us who are living, who are here today. Face to face, God spoke to you on the mountain out of the fire. As usual, Moshe is positioned between God and the people for the safety of the people. 
You were afraid of the fire and did not go up to the mountain, saying, now we're going to get this quote uh, by the people right, that Moshe puts in their mouths that we don't have in Exodus. Right? We don't have that at Sinai. What, what happens at Sinai in our description that we get in Exodus? God says, only you, Moshe, can come up here. Remember? The mountain is supercharged. The people can't touch it. The people can't go up or they will get zapped. So that's the description in Exodus. Here, Moshe said, y'all didn't come up because y'all were afraid. So I had to go up because you couldn't handle it. So what do you think is going on there? um, He's just saying that or it's just discrepancies in who wrote what? Say that again. So what do you think is going on there? Which is true? Is it that there were just discrepancies in who wrote what portion? Or Moses was just saying that? Okay, define true. What does true mean? Oh, okay, so <laughs> I'm good with that. I'm good. Right? That's all it takes. All I have to do is ask one question. That's right. And everybody retracts. That's how we do this. All right. That's how we get through this. And now, um, so right, true. what is it true? What's true? What's true? Yeah. Right? Well, none of this is right. Right. True in the sense that it was like if we went back and actually saw what right. happened, it would be this version or that version. It's, right. Each what is a true representation of the author of what they need to have had happen. Yes. Right? Deuteronomy, the Deuteronomist needs these words to have been told to Moshe and only recorded now because it is a reform of what has been. Right? If you're going to make a reform have any teeth, you got to put it in the mouth of the authority. But Moshe's already given Torah. So how can it be put in the mouth of Moshe? Ah, well... You only got part of Torah before. I didn't tell you the whole thing. Now it's my job to tell you the whole thing because I'm going to die and y'all are crossing over and I'm not going with you. So I have to tell you, right, the, the rest of the stuff. All right. So here, what, so what did God, what is Moshe saying God said, right, that God, you know, that the people were kind of exposed to at that time? What did God say? God said... Anochi Adonai Elohecha, I am Adonai your God, Asher Tzeticha Me'eretz Mitzrayim, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, Mibet Abadim, from the house of slavery. Put in parentheses, therefore, Lo Yiyelecha Elohim Achirim you will have no other gods before my face. Right? Literally, El Panai, on my face. Meaning, before me. Um, so this, so people argue about what is the first of the Ten Commandments, right? Um, some people want to say it's Ani Adonai Elohecha, I am Adonai your God, right? Who took you out of the land of Egypt? <laughs> Unlikely. <laughs> Every ancient Near Eastern treaty begins with I am Queen Amy. I killed your king. I won. Therefore, you owe me your exclusive loyalty. That's how every ancient Near Eastern vassal treaty begins. Why should this be any different? Who is the authority speaking? Why do they get to demand these things? 
because I beat up your king. My army won. I mean, the, period. Like, what are you going to say after that? You know, well, it was kind of a draw. Like, what, you know, you're my slave. Like, you now. Okay. So. That's how Trump began, too. I am Yud Vav your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of slavery. That, I, hi, I'm Yud Vav I took you out of Egypt. I rescued you from slavery, liberated you from slavery. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. Right? This is classic ancient Near Eastern vassal treaty language. Who's speaking? Why do they have the authority to demand? And what they usually demand first is exclusive loyalty. You shall not make for yourself a sculptured image. This continues the idea of exclusive loyalty. What does that look like exactly? In our case, no sculptured image, right, from anything that's in the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, whatever, or on the earth, right? Animals, all that kind of stuff. Or in the waters below, no representations, right, that you will, you will not bow down to them or serve them. Why? Anochi Adonai Lohecha Elkanah. I am yud vav a God who is, what, how does your translation Translate that, Elkanah. Impassioned. Impassioned. <clears throat> Normally you'll see jealous. Mm-hmm. I'm a jealous God, right? But people started harping on that. Non-Jewish people started harping on that, right? There's that jealous God of the Old Testament. So um, lots, of, lots of translations have shifted uh, to impassioned, okay, whatever. Actually, jealous is a little closer. Uh, not as an emotion. Thank you. Jealousy is a right. Kana, the word kana in Hebrew means I have exclusive rights to your loyalty. And if you break that loyalty, I am entitled to kina. So if I'm the queen, I conquered your king, you owe me your exclusive loyalty. If you worship another, you know, if you serve another king or queen, I am entitled to, to be kana. <coughs> Because I am entitled to your exclusive loyalty. Does that make sense? So it's a, yeah. it's not an emotion. Yeah. It is a status that if you break your exclusivity, I, the one who have been wronged, am entitled to be kana. Right. So Yud Hey says, don't be worshiping all this other junk because I am El Kana. I will exercise my entitlement to Kana if you do so. It doesn't mean God is insecure. (laughs) Right? And has a problem with jealousy. It's that God will enact what God is entitled to. I don't know. I don't know what I doubt it. Zealous tends to be a translation of stuff that's about strength. I, th- I think. I don't know. I'd have to see the Hebrew term that they're translating from. Jealous, I have seen here. Because it's, it's, the, it's about the exclusivity of relationship. And the one who steps out, the one who's been wronged, gets to be fill in the blank. Jealous and passion. Passion just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me, but whatever. Um... Pokade Avon, 
Avot al banim v'al shlishem v'al rib'em Right? Lisonai So those who detest me And of course this is not about feelings This is about action Those who behave in a way that demonstrates They detest me To the fourth generation Their family will suffer A very popular idea in the ancient Near East And we don't get all freaked out when we talk about karma. It's something I did in a past life that's coming to get me now. We, we don't all freak out when we hear that. It's like, okay, that's how some people explain bad things happening right, to somebody who's living a relatively good life. right? And we know, we've talked about that a lot in here, that people need explanations for those things. This is a place we see it. We don't see it a lot in our tradition, but it's here uh, that... That guilt is not, and you have to remember, we read this as Westerners who are concerned about individuality. That was not a concept in the ancient Near East. There was not a concept of my behavior being consequential only to me. There was not this idea that my soul does this and then, and then, then it's going to... There, there, there's just no such thing. You are the member of a clan. Everything you do reflects on the clan. This is why men are so obsessed with the virginity of the women of their clan. They don't care really about the sexuality of the women of their clan. They care about their reputation. The reput- if she does something, she has to be punished because it reflects on the male of the clan their ability to keep her in line and to guard her sexuality, which belongs to them. Her sexuality does not belong to her. It belongs to the men of the clan. That is a different way of thinking than we think, but that's the way they thought in the ancient world and the way we think, by the way, is loaded with a lot of problems. We're in the situation we are on lots of levels, climate change, not the least among them, because of our focus on the individual and the inability to think as the member of a collective. If I drive an SUV, it doesn't matter. Maybe not so much, but if I drive it and everyone else thinks they get to drive one, now we have a problem. If I'm the member of a collective, I know that we all can't drive SUVs. So why would I expect to drive one? Since we can't all drive them. Do do you see? It's just a different way of orienting oneself in the world. So this is what it means. If you are a part of a family that is detesting yud heh vav in behavior and action, that is going to have consequences. Generations down the line. That's how it works. That's how it is. But, but, the text says, I show kindness to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. So this is not a statement about punishment. This is actually, I know it's hard for us to understand, this is actually a text about God's gracious loving kindness. That yes, of course, to, the, to a certain amount of generations, Sorry, that's how it goes. But to the thousandth generation, right, goes my good stuff, 
the opposite of kana, right? The, the good stuff goes to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. So it's, a, it's an attestation of God's loving, gracious nature. Whether we, whether we like that or not or get that or not, that's what it's supposed to be in the text. Yes. I certainly prefer that to what I see in modern society where I think that allegiance to the tribal morality is still very, very prominent. Yes. Um, not only with cars, but with sexuality, certainly, and men's concern with controlling women's sexuality. We see it in elections. We see it in we see it everywhere. Yep. It still exists. Absolutely. All right. You shall not swear falsely by the name of God, right? For God will not yinake the person who swears falsely by God's name. You have to remember that swearing is talking about court. It's talking about when you give an oath and you swear that what you're about to say is true by the name of God. You're in huge trouble if what you're about to say is a lie. Huge trouble. But notice most of these, they don't have a consequence by human beings. It's not like, and then the court is going to take you out and beat you and put you in a cell and deny you access to your family. That is not what comes in that. It's just a list of what you shall not do and what you shall do. There's no consequences for most of this because how will the court know that you're lying? These commandments are given to the Israelite. God will know. When the assumption is, then you're in trouble. Right? Swear to God. I swear to God. That's where it comes from. I swear to God. Right? You, because that's supposed to invoke the curse of the God if what you're saying is a lie. And our Ten Commandments say, in fact, yep. That's right. Right? Um, but it's not a human consequence, right? It's not humans who will enforce this. This is all only enforceable, enforceable by God. Um, because what happens? Why is this one of the big ones? Why is swearing falsely by the name of God one of the big ones, one of the big ten? Because it affects so many other people. It's a moral code. Exactly. A society that cannot trust the reliability of its court system is by definition a society that has no moral or ethical. Oh, oh, oh really? <laughs> Just saying, people. But so this is this is one of the big ten, and it's there's five dealing with the person and God, and five dealing with people vis-a-vis other people. One of the big five in terms of our relationship with the divine is that when you are testifying. You must tell the truth. Because any system to be at all just has, has to function with the truth. And everybody's truth is different, right? It's not saying because you say X, Y is going to happen to the defendant. But it's saying you, if you lie, there's no, way, there's no way you can have a justice system that functions, right? With witnesses who lie. But again, only you know you're lying. Here we go. Shamar Yom Shabbat Lekodesho. Keep the Sabbath day and sanctify it. 
כאשר ציווך אדוני אלוהיך, as God has commanded you, ששת ימים תעבוד ועשית כל מלאכתך. Notice that's where the sentence ends in our punctuation. That is already an interpretation. In the Torah, there's no punctuation. There's no verses. There's no periods. There's no colons. Right? It just is run on. So all this punctuation is made up by somebody. Often the Masoretes. But, but this punctuation, right? Somebody decided, boom, is the end of a sentence. Six days you should do your, you shall work, and you shall do all of your working. That's a sentence, right? right? Why did somebody decide to make a sentence there instead of going on to, but Yom HaShvi'i, but the seventh day should be for you, right? Something else. Why did they stop? Because they have rest. They're issuing in the rest of Sabbath. But then why not say six days you should do your work, but the seventh day you shall rest? Because on the purpose, it's, it's It sets it apart. It's yeah. emphasis. There's no period. Right. In, in, that, in our translation, there's not a period. Comma. There's a comma. Right. Seriously? Yeah. Where does verse 14 begin for you? Yes, right. So it's a new verse. You don't need a period. You've got verse 14. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> so what did you say, John, when I asked that question? Uh, well, I said because it separates. Why separate it? It doesn't make any sense to separate it. Six days you should do your work, and on the seventh you shall rest. Why is it separated? It's separated to show how holy it is and that you should stop and take notice. The rabbis read it exactly the opposite. It's not about Shabbat. Six days you shall work. So they're, they're focusing on the work. So work. Focusing on the you work. shall work and be productive six exactly. days out of every week. That is a positive commandment. That you have to work. That you have to work. To earn that day off. Six days you shall work and you shall be about all of your working. This is not employment, by the way. This is not talking about employment. Again, this is a Western, modern reading. This is not about you need to have a job. No. That is not what it means. Six days a week you shall be productive. If that means raising the children and schlepping them to the doctor and driving carpool, six days a week you will be about malacha. You will be about tinkering in the world in a way that's supposed to make the world a better place. You're supposed to care for your family. You're supposed to care for you. You're supposed to care for your community. You're supposed to be a librarian. You're supposed to volunteer at the JCC. You're supposed to give blood. You're supposed like there's a lot that's involved in kol melachtecha, all your doings, all your workings. The the reason it's it's identified as its own sentence by the rabbis, it comes out of rabbinic tradition, is that this is a positive commandment. Apart from Shabbat. Is that the original intention? Don't know. Makes much more sense to have it be one sentence. But it seems, according to rabbinic tradition, it was very important for them to say six days a week, you tavod. You shall work. That includes studying the Torah. Six days. George, well, of course. 
Of course. Sitting and studying Torah is the highest form of Avodah. The highest form. Absolutely. George. George. Because there could have been a doubt in there, right? All right. The, no. The, the, in the medieval period, we get a lot of the, It's Christians who broke this down into chapter and verse. I'm, I've been waiting for this paragraph to come because I'm worried about double usage of the word slave. And okay. I redefine our, our slaves were seven years slaves. Okay, the good news is we're, we're going right there. Here we go. Okay. All right, don't worry, we're getting there. Elena, we're getting there. All right. So, if we read it as one sentence, six days you shall labor and do all your work, and that vav that comes at the beginning of verse 14, v'yom hashvi'i, is a disjunctive vav, not a conjunctive vav. So the disjunctive vav says, six days you shall do all your work, but, a disjunctive vav, it's not and, it's but, Yom Hashvi'i, the seventh day, Shabbat Ladonai Elohecha. Is a Shabbat for Yudhe Vavhe, your God. Lo Ata. So you, so no work for whom? Ata, you, Uvincha, and your son, Uvitecha, and your daughter. Ve'avdecha and your slave, ve'amatecha and your female slave, ve'shorcha and your ass, ve'chamorcha and your cattle, ve'chol behamtecha and all of your animals, ve'gercha asher bisharecha and the stranger that is in your gates. So don't think it's just your stuff, your living creatures. Also, the stranger who's living in your gates. In order that your slave and your maid servant will rest like you. Who is the metzuve of this paragraph? Who is the one commanded here? The head of the household is the one being commanded here. Sheldon, why is this funny? Because it doesn't mention your wife. That's ah, doesn't mention your wife. Right. It talks about your son. Because she's not going to get to rest, is she? No. She's making cholent. She's serving. She's cleaning. She... So clearly, it is understood to be the one who has control over everybody else. That's the mitzvah. That's who's being commanded here. You are to give Shabbat to everybody else in your household so that they may yanuach, they may rest, kamocha, like you. You will make one day out of every seven a day that the hierarchy between you and everybody else is dissolved. Except for the wife. It's assumed the wife, too. Marx says equality is defined by what? Work. 
right? That's Marxism. Oh, not Marx. Equality is is defined by Mark. Uh, by by, by work. It's defined by work. What is this saying? <clears throat> Equality is defined by rest. Equality is defined by rest. Who gets to rest? Everybody. Everyone gets to rest equally. Everybody. Except the Shabbos Goy. Because ha- they're not Jewish. Okay. They're not commanded. They don't need, they don't get, they have another, this is, they don't get Shabbat. So, okay, first of all, stop. We've got two different concepts going on here. The stranger, we're talking about biblical civilization. The Shabbos Goy is a very late rabbinic category. I can't turn on the television, but a non-Jew can. That's all it is. Just somebody to do stuff for me because I can't do it on Shabbos. So it is a very late rabbinic institution, uh, and it's not even an institution. It's just like if you have a servant that's not Jewish, or you have a neighbor that's not Jewish and they're over, they can turn on the television. You can't. Um, The stranger who's in your midst means someone who is living with Israelites as a member of their community, as a member of their society, in terms of biblical understandings of Shabbat. It is incumbent on you to make sure everybody in your community is observing Shabbat by not doing malacha, right? So rabbinic concepts are later. This is only binding on Jews because Jews no longer had control <coughs> over anything. They had no control over the goy. But Jews only had authority over Jews and Jewish law only had authority over Jews. They weren't living in the land anymore. When you're in the land and have control, this is the law. For all of your citizens and all of the resident aliens living among you, everyone is to get the equality of rest on Shabbat. Amy, does the stranger in the village subject to this versus the stranger in your house? No. It's all the same. They're all the same. If, so you're, if they're living among you... through your village... No, no, no. These are for resident aliens. Resident aliens. This is for people who live with you. In the house. Or just in your village. In your your community. Anyone living with among you gets Shabbat. They get to rest. Sir. The very fact that the wife is not mentioned might suggest for those of the verse that the father figure of the family does not have the same control over the wife. I like it. I like it. I like it. That would be good, but she's not mentioned because God knows you have no control over her anyway. I love it. I think it was great. I think you should write to the people who edit the women's Torah commentary and suggest that as right as a reason it's not here. A technical question. Yes. Not being a dairy farmer, but from what I understand, don't cows or milk producing animals have to be milked every day? Or they're very uncomfortable and it's dangerous and they don't know it's Shabbat. So what happens? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) I have no idea. Like if your cat's delivering a litter, I think you have to tend to Well, and and I'm not sure, I'm not sure that counts as malacha. I don't know. 
Right, so I don't know that that would count as melacha. It might count as what you just do as part of. You, are you allowed to brush your teeth? Yeah, that's what if brushing your hair hurts? What if putting on certain pairs of shoes hurts? You still put them on. Right? So I'm not sure what. I, I have to imagine that was not a part of what was considered melacha. That was just daily life, like something that had to be done out of kindness to the animal. You would never not feed. You're going to not feed your animals on Shabbos. We might consider that chores. But you're not going to not feed your children either, right? You're right. A woman's going to nurse. So I mean, I would say it's the same. You know, it's it's, it's kind of the stuff you do every day. That's 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 regular life that has to happen every day versus what they considered right malacha. But to your point, there's a um, a note here. The you addressed in this commandment must include both males and females since both are specified in the following list of those covered by this, meaning son, daughter, male and female slave. This implies that in general, biblical laws are addressed to males and females alike. So that's how my JPS commentary. This is my JPS commentator commenting on that verse. So the things you have a choice about, you don't do. Right. There's some things I would think are just are, are part of, of what it means to get up in the morning and do life. And, right. you know, you wouldn't make an animal suffer so that no. it can rest. <laughs> right? Or so that you can rest. Because how's it going to rest when its udders are right full to bursting? All right. Um, I mean, you're still going to have to go get water. But the stranger is making flawful. He's going to be told to stop. The, but the, the strangers living among you, there's no reason they'd want to, mm-hmm. is the presumption. Why would they want to work on Shabbos? That's how he makes his living. Not if nobody's shopping. <laughs> or exchanging money. Everything shuts down on Shabbos. You've been to Jerusalem on Shabbat? <laughs> there's nothing to do. <laughs> Everybody's closed. If you carry that to today, is that part of the incitement that exists by the old Of course. Of course. Absolutely. Of course. You know, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Before you leave that. Oh, wait, wait, I'm not even done with that. Okay. Yes, go ahead, Elena. It's the same old question as before. Their slaves that they're talking about are those indentured servants that work for seven years. It's not the same kind of slavery that they were subject to in Egypt. Okay, now you're asking me to begin a dissertation that I would have to do more research to do well. Briefly, there's a difference between foreign slaves that you captured in war. They're slaves forever. Okay. They're property. Mm, Booty. Forever. The, indent- the ones who can only be slaves for seven years are Hebrew slaves, indentured servants. Okay. Hebrew slaves only become slaves by becoming indentured. How do we justify having these slaves w- with the bitter memory of Egypt? What do you mean justify? Mm-hmm. Well, wouldn't we say that why would we do, do, do not unto others as you would not have done? So you're not allowed to oppress them. Yeah. You're not allowed to mistreat them. But you, everybody has slaves. Okay. The world doesn't function without slaves. What would you do with all those people you conquered in war? Where would they go? But they do get shit What would they do? Thirty percent of the ancient world was free. 
30%. What percentage does that mean were slaves? 70% of people were slaves in the ancient world. Is that different from saying you work for somebody? No. Yes. Yes. Slaves. They were slaves. They had no control over their time or the use of their energy or talents. They were slaves. 70% of the ancient world supported 30%. Do you have any idea what those statistics are now? It's worse now. There are more slaves in the world than ever before. Um you know, we just, A, don't track those numbers, you know, but think about human trafficking, think about how many people, right, are working for a pittance. In absolute numbers. In absolute numbers. So not not percentage-wise, but in numbers, there are more slaves in the world now than ever before. Um, I would I would actually be very interested in what the what the percentage um, is. And, and I'm not saying that was true for all time in every place in the ancient world. I'm, not, I'm just trying to shock you with one number that I know from, I think it was Roman, early Roman history, Greek and Roman. Just 1% of the world's population is over 70 million people. Yeah. Wow. Oh. Just, just think about that for one second. 1% of the world's population equals 70 million people. So if you say 70% today, right, of the world, fill in the blank, anything, think about how many people you're talking about. Now, of course, it's much, we have many, many, many more people now, but, but it's, a, it's a staggering number. It's a huge amount of resources, of time, energy, right, service, a huge amount of resources is what it took to sustain life in the ancient world at a certain level. You had to have slaves. This is why we don't believe the exodus actually happened. Because there's no way the entire slave population of Egypt walked out and Egypt didn't collapse economically. It would have collapsed. The system was dependent on slavery. Israelites were no different than anyone else in the ancient Near East. They owned slaves. We have a law code that says, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt, that obligates you to how you treat your slaves. And if we had all the undocumented workers in this country walk out, our country would be 100%. So I just love that people, Americans are all up in arms that people were taking those poultry processing jobs. (laughs) Because Lord knows everybody in America wants those jobs. Don't you want that job? I did it one night. Did you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I worked at Church's Fried Chicken, and we had to, like, take the chicken. Throw them in a vat. It's disgusting. So, yeah, I'll never eat fried chicken at a restaurant again. So, the, the, um, okay, so the commandment is, you shall make Shabbat for everyone in your control so that they can rest kamocha like you. They become like you. What is the commandment in Exodus? We got Shabbat before. This is a completely different commandment. (laughs) Cecile's panicking a little. (laughs) She said, wait, what happened? What was the commandment in Exodus? Six days you shall work, seventh day, blah, 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 blah. why? Oh. Shabbat and make it holy? Why? What's. Yes, 
Because God Because God rested. While doing what? Creating. Creating the world. God creates the world. Creation is seven days. Creation includes one day of not tinkering with the creation. It's not a tag on. Creation is seven days. Creation includes stopping and right being present to what is as it is. So you are imitating God as what in Exodus? You are doing imitatio Dei because God rested. You'll rest. So what was God about at that time? Huh? Yes. So God as creator and the creator rests. So your imitatio Dei is God as creator. God as creator took a break. At the end of that process, which is an important part of that process, and so you will do the same. What's happening now? Everyone gets to be equal. Match it to this. You're working. You're the people work, and then you're not. You're working, but what is Shabbat about? It's about imitatio dei. Equality. It's about imitatio dei. I'm imitating God. I'm imitating God, not as resting. God doesn't rest here. No. No. Sounds like. Sounds like. I'm imitating God as liberator. As God liberates, so shall you liberate. By right. You're not resting. It's not about you are resting. That's not the reason for the commandment. So that everyone, everyone rests. Everyone, therefore, is equal and liberated. So the the equality is power. What? The equality is power. Yes. Work and such, or lack of work. Yes, right. Mm -hmm. What is power here, and what what is equality? Getting rid of the hierarchy. Equality here is releasing control. One day out of seven, you give up control. That's a holy observance. That's what it means to live into the holiness of Shabbat. As God is liberator, so shall you liberate. To your point, Elena, you were set free from the house of bondage by me. Therefore, I have the authority to demand that you do the same for everyone you enslave once a week. And and presumably also the master would not even have the right to tell the slave how to use their rest. Presumably. If they happen to have a novel pack hanging around they could choose to read or they could choose to make music or whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. They're liberated up to You're them. Liberated, you can't Presumably. They have, they have a time. Presumably. And that could be a very powerful change in the way we observe Shabbat as we try to control children, family, whatever. Let go of control. One day a week. One day. <laughs> we create Shabbat. We create a holy society and live into holy time by relinquishing control. It, so is, is the point that uh, you said liberator, again, the liberation was from 
Egypt. Is that basically from slavery? From slavery. From mm-hmm. slavery in mm-hmm. Egypt. And D- so don't from, stop with it with Egypt. Stop with Egypt. Okay. I liberated you, me Beit Abadim, from the house of slavery. Right. The institution of slavery. But that's uh, are you saying that's basically what Shabbat is all about? Is I'm not saying nothing. <laughs> okay. Deuteronomy says, is saying yes. This is uh, how do I say it? Uh, the rationale for this is what I did because you were slaves. I liberated you, and let's remember that. And we'll remember that one day a week, be, because you should not be slaves seven days. Or, you should not work or whatever seven days a week. Correct. I had to fix that. Yes. Or be the slave master. Yes. I, I had to fix it. Yes. And, and we're gonna. It's gonna be a permanent fix every week. Yes. It's an institution. Oh, interesting. As a rescue from the institution, regularly. Yeah. Regular. So the dignity of your slaves, right, is the same as yours. Kamocha. They will be kamocha like you, one day a week. Amy, I, I still don't understand today uh, in Meisharim. Why, why would the Orthodox, if they're following this and they're liberating their slaves, why would they care if I ride a bus? So this, they, they, okay. So there's there's so many thousands, there's so many years that separate this from what they're up to. Yeah. It's a sociological phenomenon. It's not law. It, they don't want their Shabbat interrupted, Davka, by other Jews. We're, people, what happened to the person who like, made a fire publicly on Shabbat? Exactly. Stoned to death. So they have no right to stop the stranger from riding the bus. They just right. want the stranger the bus. Not to ride the bus. They can't, they, this doesn't hold anymore. The laws about Israel do not hold anymore so they're in Israel. They're stricter from the Orthodox. No, they're not, they're not quoting <clears throat> law when they stone those cars. Right. They're saying, stay out of our neighborhood. Get your cars out of our neighborhood. It's Shabbos here. And, and Get out of our town. Wouldn't a rabbi say, no, hold on a second. We're reading Deuteronomy and you have, you're obligated to liberate that guy. If he wants to write to us, you don't have a right to stone him. No, Creating a fire on Shabbos is against the law. Driving a bus on Shabbos is against halacha. It's a violation of Shabbos. You're making a fire. But that's not here, though. What's here is you can't light a fire. According to halacha, turning on an ignition engine a combust- causes combustion, causes the lighting of the fire. That's why you can't drive on Shabbos. Okay, so is this then a more modern reinterpretation? Of course, everything they do is a modern interpretation of this. So they're saying, you're violating Shabbos in my neighborhood. Get out. Keep your cars out. Have some respect. Okay. You're making a fire and driving it down the street in my neighborhood. Is it a lovely way to behave? No. But they're fundamentalists. They're zealous fundamentalists for God and for Shabbos. Zealous reconstructionists. 
God forbid. God forbid. We're losing George. God forbid. Well, George, they are the laws about cars and combustion engines came to Moshe from Sinai, and it is passed down. The oral law is passed down. God forbid reconstructing. God forbid a million times. It's heresy, George. That's heresy. <laughs> We're living into the divine will, and here's how that translates exactly when it comes to cars and microwave ovens. Understood? <laughs> or tearing toilet. <laughs> or tearing toilet paper. All right. So, um, all right. So we've moved from God as creator and imitatio Dei is about imitating God the creator, and we've moved to. God as liberator, and that living as a holy society, living into imitatio Dei as a society for the Deuteronomist is about creating a society in which dignity is about the erasing of hierarchy, and that happens once a week, and that is a mandate. You don't get to choose whether you think that's a good idea, right? That is the mandate of this part of the law code. All right, so the rest of them are pretty self-evident, I think. Yes? Not murdering? Because, you know, if you want to build a nice society, you don't They don't go into kill each other. distinction between killing and murdering in this passage. It's very clear. You don't need a distinction. This is very clear. It's murder. In, in war? That's not murder. That's what I mean. I'm saying there, there's no need for distinction. The word is murder. Okay. Right? Murder is, is murder just is different murder. from killing. Right. Yeah. This is murder. This right. is very clearly murder. Right. Okay. Right? Just like in English, we don't... If I say don't murder somebody... It means something it means don't. Different. It means something different than don't kill them. Right. Right? I, I mean... Punishment is not outlawed according to the Ten Capital punishment is not outlawed according to the Ten Commandments. That's what I said. Say more. Well, Wh- why? Where well, do you see that? Well, we, uh, I've heard arguments that we shouldn't uh, uh, kill people, uh, execute people. That's not murder. That's what I'm saying. That's not murder. Right. Murder is very clear. When you can apply the death penalty and how, there's lots of conversation about that. The same way we have it in our country now. Right? It's very clear that this is about murder. Period. That's all. That's all it's talking about. And right. the, the commandments often quoted is thou shalt not kill. Which is wrong. And I correct it every time I hear that. I'm like, that's not what it says. Lo tirtzach, you shall not murder. Yeah. But that's wrong, right? Because if someone came into this room right now to hurt any one of you, I would have no compunction about killing them, if I could. Here, with my dry erase. Don't call another stick. Your words can do it. The fume alone will kill them. Right? But uh, but that's right. That, so I mean that's 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 that's, that's right. Um, um, that's that's why it's so important to be accurate because it is a mitzvah to kill sometimes. The rodev. Yeah, the rodev. I mean, if, and if, but, but in that case, it's not. That's a, an entitlement. It's not a mitzvah. 
you're entitled to. But, um, but if I'm protecting children, right, it, it is absolutely considered a positive action for me to prevent someone who's going to kill them from killing them. That is a positive act. And I don't think anybody here would disagree with that, right, or would argue that. Or maybe you say, well, you should try a nonviolent, okay, whatever. But, but conceptually, there's times no one wants to kill, but that defending your home or your kids or whatever, like, and then you, then you get into the argument, what's defending? You know, I'm not, we're not going there. I'm just saying you can understand how, why it says don't murder and not don't kill. Right. Right? All right, so um, we get to coveting. So again, not, how do you punish someone for coveting? I saw how you were looking at my woman. Like, you know how, well, you shall not covet. Like, who, who's going to say, oh, but Robert did. <laughs> right here. God I broke one of the big ten. Right here. Well, Jimmy Carter lusted in his heart. <laughs> Just saying. So, and it's not even you shall not lust in your heart. What is it? It's you shall not lust in your heart. And covet. For someone that belongs to someone else. That and right, it's clearly directed. Right. You shall not, right, covet another's wife. Eshet reecha. The wife of your reecha, your neighbor. This is to protect the tribe. This is to protect the. I mean, right? It's because if you covet freely, long or their, enough, or their possessions, or their possessions. Right? Because essentially, staying in that place of it should be mine, not theirs, Mm -hmm. leads ultimately to taking it. Not good things. Possibly action, but just in general, like that's not the way you build a society that's going to be healthy and functional. But it's unpunishable because it's undiscoverable. Except by God. Of course, of course. So, but this is clearly directed to the person understanding that it is I, God, who will know if you've been coveting, right? In some sense, this relates to an admittedly very Christian concept of uh, an occasion of sin. In other words, that you, you don't want to put yourself into a place where if you act out your thoughts, you will commit. Correct, correct. Right? And that seems to be the only one of the whole bunch where you're being told to control your thoughts as opposed to your actions. Correct. So it's assumed this is an orientation, right? right? That coveting is more than just you have a thought. Coveting is like an active what? state of hers, but it should be mine. <laughs> yeah, that got messy. It's more like uh, there's nothing wrong with saying, I wish I had a watch like George has. As, and, 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 you know, as opposed to, I want George. <laughs> oh, right. 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 That was that one about commas save lives. You know, like right. let's eat grandma. You know, versus let's <laughs> let's eat let's it's eat grandma. Let's eat grandma. There's commas save lives. Like, so throw <laughs> mama from the train. A kiss, a kiss. All right, go to. Is this the only commandment that is solely internal and not about 
Let's see. Go to verse. Let's go to verse four of chapter six, and we'll close here. Shema Israel again, the language of Deuteronomy. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha, bechol levavcha, uvechol navshecha, uvechol meodecha. Yeah? Sound a little familiar? But here we go. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha, bechol levavcha, bechol navshecha, bechol meodecha. Ve'ayu ha'devarim ha'ele asher anochi mitzavcha hayom alevavecha. Ve'shinantam levanecha, ve'dibartabam, ve'shibtecha bevetecha, uvlechtecha v'aderech. Uvishoch Bacha Uv Kumecha Ukshartam Leot Al Yadecha Vehayulitotafot Benecha Uchtavtam Al Mizuzot Betecha Uvish Arecha. Is it the is coveting the only time emotion is commanded? What did we just read? So again, it is about an orientation. An orientation that one focuses on and acts out of, ultimately. How could you command someone to love? You shall have an orientation towards me that is one of love. That's the command, right? That you will do these things out of a sense of love. Right, so that's the positive internal. Correct. So the Deuteronomist is very clear that we are getting at the right unity. If you're talking about a religious reform, you're talking about getting rid of all the Asherah and the Baal and the male prostitutes and everything else, and you're cleaning out the temple like we saw last week, much to people's horror, right? That there was an Asherah in the temple, like you get rid of all that. This is a reiteration of that reform. Adonai Echad. It's the only one you're allowed to have, Israel. <coughs> is Yodhei Vavhei, right? So a lot of times people say that this is a statement of, of uh, what is it, monotheism, that there's only one God. <laughs> no. Because then, then what do you care about the Asherah being in the temple? What do you care about Baal, the, the altars to Baal that Josiah has torn down? What do you care about those if there's only one God? Do you really care? Right? It means you're worshiping the other gods. You're not allowed to do that, Israel. You're only allowed to worship Yudhe Vavhe. It is, right? Yudhe Vavhe's Elkanah has the right to your exclusive worship. So don't worry about all that other business. It doesn't matter. Was Jesus really, who cares? Was Mohammed possibly really the prophet? Doesn't matter. All, all you get, Israel, is Yodhei Vavhei. That's what you get. That's the God you, quote, know and have experienced. And that's all you need. And that's all you better need yeah. is, right, a relationship to Yodhei Vavhei, and it should be one of love, right? Um, and the instruction about how to do that properly is something you're supposed to speak about when you walk on the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Right? What they're talking about is, th- is this. Deuteronomy. These words means these words, not the words of the Shema. Right? You shall speak of them. What's them? 
these words. How to build a just society, how to build a society of equity, how to be fair, how to be loving, how to be kind, how to be righteous. That's what you should be talking about when you lie down and when you rise up. Yeah? Metaphorically, bind them as a sign upon your hand. Metaphorically, keep them between your eyes. What did our rabbinic tradition do with that? Only Jews. Only Jews. Right? Oh, but Torah says, metaphorically, they should guide your hands, they should be ever before you as you work in the world and do things in the world, and they should be between your eyes, right? And our tradition took it literally, and now we have a box that you strap on and strap around your head, because it says so in the Torah. So both ways, both reading stuff that's not here, a bus is now a breaking of halacha, not here, right? They didn't have buses here. Um, but, you know, but it's the law, right? So both that and the other way. Take something that's metaphoric and we're going to concretize it, right? Because it says so. When did defense right here. begin? When did, we don't when, know. When did um, but we have very them? early, very early representations okay. of tefillin. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, Richard. So, in, so we're, we're told to talk about these things all the time, which are the, essentially the commandments and what they mean and how we sh- should live them and all that sort of stuff. And so, and so you could say that that is, okay, so uh, in our daily lives and interactions when we have opportunities to talk to other people, the focus of our, our conversation ought to be, you know, how do we sort of, you know, how do we actualize all these things that we were commanded? Now, um, so from whence do we get the impetus to say, get rid of slavery? In other words, the, the commandments are like, for example, the resting on Shabbat. You and everybody in your household gets to rest so that everybody can be equal. But that doesn't say anything about creating a society where you don't even have slavery, Mm -hmm. right? So how do we get from a place where we're constantly talking about bringing about the society that is envisioned in the context of the Ten Commandments to a society where you don't even have slaves who have to worry about, you don't have to worry about giving them a day of rest. Back to our earlier conversation, in all seriousness, Orthodox Jews would tell you that revelation is ongoing. So you turn to your Rebbe, and you ask your Rebbe, what does it mean not to covet? Yesterday my neighbor was driving by, and I really loved his car, and is that coveting, Rabbi? Right, you turn to your Rebbe, and if your Rebbe can't answer, your Rebbe goes somewhere else, right? So, it, but my answer is, we reconstruct this. So, so we we have to we have to be about caring enough about the values here, the ethics, the values, the morals, as they understood how to communicate that. We have to be talking about it enough that we reconstruct okay, so what that means for our day. Okay, so in other words, if you if you get into it deeply enough, you will ultimately tease out the meaning that's appropriate for your time. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that 
avdecha, your avdecha, your eved should rest. You know, of course, we have come to a place where we have decided that ethically and morally, it is not okay to have slaves. But we still support a system that enslaves people, right? So for me, the conversation isn't over, right? This commandment is not, not over because we still have sweatshops, we still have human trafficking, we still have all these things that our actions support because we haven't been enough about these words to really know where our clothes come from. Amy, isn't the answer to Richard's question, Wendy, the role of the rabbi, both ancient and current? No. Like an eye for an eye, that modified, we don't do that. Right, but, that, but it's not, for us, that's not rabbinic. That's us as a Jewish people reading these texts and taking them seriously and then advocating in our free society where we get a vote, which candidate do we want to work for? Which policy do we want to work to make sure is passed? It's not rabbinic, right? It's not the rabbi. It's, it's we as the Jewish people, and we live in America. Well, how do we enact these words? We vote. We give our money to candidates. We give our money to a, uh, what do you call it, an initiative. That, that's, it's not rabbinic, right? So that for us, Reconstructionists, it's about the democracy of the Jewish people. That's a democratic decision. The Jewish people will democratically decide what those commandments mean for us today, as well as it will, and then we participate in the democracy that we are blessed to live in that we can influence through our commitment to how we understand these values being um, be, being beyond relevant, being um, vital, in, incumbent upon us. I don't know what, I'm trying to find the right English word. That we're obligated. Some of us still feel obligated to these values, mm-hmm. right? And um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying like that you didn't know that. I'm just saying, right, if we're still obligated by them, what, is that, what does that demand of us? It demands that we engage with it enough that we can try to interpret what that would mean for me Right, to, that I need to be at the demonstration at the detention center, or you know, fill in the blank, whatever, whatever it is. Also, the West Side Food Bank and Jewish Family Service, and all of the services that are provided to people in need. Absolutely. Do I see one more hand, and then we're going to close? Um, so, as we go into uh, Shabbat ve'et Hanan, as we go into the Shabbat, um, you know, let us. Uh, also reflect on the fact that the Shema, as it's written, if you look at verse 4, the beginning, that first word, Shema. By the way, I hear Do you that see that the end too. of that word, Shema? Do you see that last letter? The ayin? It should be printed large in your book. Then go to the last letter of that verse. You're in verse 4? Verse 4. Oh, okay, yes. Do you see? Yes. So the ayin and the dalit, that is how it's written in a Torah scroll. The ayin and the dalit are enlarged in a Torah scroll. Why? I'm so glad that was the next question. (laughs) The ayin and the dalit are enlarged. What does ayin dalit mean in Hebrew? Aid. What does it mean? Aid. What is aid? It's not odd. That would be a different word. Aid. What does aid mean? Witness. Say it again. Witness. Witness. So, so why are the ayin and the dalit enlarged on the Shema? 
Well, it's saying, listen, listen, listen. It's, it's emphatic. Be a witness. Live this. Can you just talk about it? Talk about it should lead to living it. You all look out for each other. You all look out for Y'all look out for each other. Y'all live Shema Yisrael, Adonai, and everything that means. Be an Ed. Be a witness to God's singularity, to God's unity, to God's fill in the blank. Be a witness to that. So that when people look at you and they point to you and they say, that is what it means to live in line with this yud hey vav hey business. That's what it looks like. Oh, I'd, right? I, I want to be like that. Live in such a way that this lives in you as an ed, as a witness, and that means in a positive way. That we don't take these just as a belief. That's not Jewish. It's not Jewish. It's even there in the, in the calligraphic tradition, in the scribal tradition, it's there. It's not just a belief. You have to be an ed. You have to witness by your behavior, by the community that you build, by the society you build. Because for the Deuteronomist, the whole point is to be an oral agoyim, that the society that we build should be a light unto the nations. It should be an example that everyone wants to emulate. So you, Israelite, singular, listen up. Figure out how it is that you can live these words in such a way that you are an aid, you are a witness to what this can do, both in an individual life as well as at the societal level. Shabbat Shalom. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.